in every business we've done. The cheaper, the smaller are the bigger pain in the butts. It just is what it is. So it's the opposite of what Biggie said when he said, mo money, mo problems. It's the opposite, less money, bigger problems. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Heather, it's so great to be here once again. Yeah, it's going to be a good episode. It is. And today's episode is going to be called Inside the Business. It sounded like you were going to be like, today's episode is sponsored by <laughs> No, us. it's not sponsored by it's anyone. It's sponsored by us. It's sponsored by Land Conquest. Land Con- okay, there we there go. There we go. We should say that, meaning us. There is no sponsor, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's on purpose, because I think people have asked that before, like, how do we sponsor it? Yeah, and- no, we don't, we don't need any sponsors. We do our own thing mm-hmm. around here. We don't want any advertisers telling us what to do with our content. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That would never happen. But oh, okay. okay, yeah, go for All it. Right. Hey, anyone who's doing that, that's cool. If you're yeah. making money that way, yeah, go you. But today's episode is all about... Yeah, it's called Inside the Business. Mm-hmm. It's a study of our first 200 land flip deals. Right. It's funny. We kind of already just went inside the business when we said we didn't have sponsors. So yeah, there true, we go. True. So, but what are we talking about? Well, basically what we're doing, and this all comes from what I wanted to do this, this past mm-hmm. weekend was I took a morning, Saturday morning, and I sorted, you know, we, we've done over 200 deals now. So I took our first 200 deals that we've done. You know, I've, I track everything on a spreadsheet and I've got all this data about all these deals. Real high tech. What, a spreadsheet? I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> you know, I use other tools as well, okay. but the spreadsheet is a good way to see kind of, uh, you know, crunch some numbers and see kind of overall where things are at and just, just get some quick statistics on everything. I so, threw you off your game there. You got, you were taken well, aback by that. Yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with spreadsheets. I wouldn't run your whole business on spreadsheets, but they're a good tool tool to use for certain certain things. Okay, Definitely. we can call this episode in defense of, of spreadsheets. Yeah. So, but I think it's funny because last week we I say that a lot. I think it's funny. I don't actually think it's funny. It's interesting, <laughs> right? That's so funny. It's interesting oh, because okay. last episode we were talking about you know I was like the run the numbers, the leads, yeah, uh-huh. kind of, and so yeah. anyway, I still want to do that, but this is actually more important because it it has helped us make a big change just in the past couple hours that we've had this information. We've yeah. made a big shift. And I think that anyone else listening to this is going to kind of take that information and, and can run with it and not have to do 200 deals to figure out, figure out what has worked for us. Now, having said that, it might work different for somebody else. Right. But hopefully by having this information, they can make more educated decisions with their land flipping business. And again, people are going to probably wonder like, why are you sharing this information like, doesn't that create more competition for you? Take it away. No, I don't think so. No, I think rising tide raises all boats. That's why as, I said take as it away. John F. Kennedy would have said. Re- right, say, last supposedly. week. Supposedly. Huh? After he died, before he died. What? Huh? <laughs> it was a quote from him. From him. But then supposedly someone else said it before him. So anyhow, anyway, I guess he's, he's credited said, with saying it. Yes. And that's why I said you could take it away with that quote, because I knew you were going to say it, and I didn't want to be the one to botch it or to mm. miss represent whoever it was. Yeah, I like that quote. I know. So we're going to be touching on, we're going to go into details on, um, on the first deals, 
revenue, gross profit. I'm looking at your cheat sheet here. And then you even break it down like top 10%, 20%, where we should be putting our money, where our efforts go, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And all this was done. I wanted to do this mm -hmm. so I could get some insight into, okay, so what are the deals that are producing the most profit for us? What are the most impactful? So we can hopefully do more of those and, and less of the deals that are, are crappy. Right. So. And before you actually ran the numbers, did what you learned, is that what you thought you were going to learn? Um, you know, I had an indication that uh, that's kind of what it was, but I didn't really know how impactful those things were. Well, ready to get into it? Let's go inside the business, Heather. Okay, so today's episode is inside the business. Actually, inside the numbers of the business, correct? Correct, yeah. And this is in regards to the purchases that we're making and the price points of those purchases and the profit for those purchases. Yeah. So I'll kind of explain what I did, and then we'll start breaking down some of the numbers, some of the things that we learned from, from this study. Okay. So first of all, I took all of our deals, mm -hmm. all 200 of our deals, and I sorted them by profit. How much absolute profit that we made on each of those deals. So By percentage or No, just actual by amount. actual like okay. amount of profit. So one deal made 50,000 and then 40,000, you know, so mm -hmm. there was a list like that. So I sorted it all by that. And then what I did was I took different, um, you know, I calculated some of the total numbers, like the total profit we made, the total revenue we made, the total, you know, lots of these things, which I'll go into. But then I also tried to do a study like, okay, so I looked at the top 10% of those deals and what's in, what's in common with those top 20%, top, you know, so I was trying to figure out, you know, you hear so much about the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. You know, Thank so you like for breaking that down for me. Well, you know, I, I'm not breaking it down for you. No, I'm you need because I didn't know the oh with the Pareto principle. I, I know oh. 80 20 rule, but not okay. So I had assumed, or I was thinking that okay, there's probably 20 percent of the deals that are producing 80 percent of the profit. Mm -hmm. Now, in reality, that wasn't what happened here. It's about 50 percent of our deals are 80 percent of our profits. Okay. Well, so that's still significant. It's still yeah. significant. Mm -hmm. So, so basically, a hundred of the deals are eighty. I'll go into specific. Over eighty percent of our mm -hmm. profit margin. And then another fifty percent are only twenty percent of the deals. Yeah, less than twenty percent. Right, which yeah. sucks. Yeah, which sucks. So, because it's assuming that's the same amount of money we're putting out, the same amount of effort. Same probably more everything. effort if if you've right. been following along because those. Those deals like that are the ones that are take up some of your time and give you so many headaches and, and all that stuff. I wish people talked about that more, that the smaller deals are the ones that are, I mean, in every business we've done, the cheaper, the smaller are the bigger pain in the butts. Right. And all around, I don't, it just is what it is. So it's the opposite of what Biggie said when he said, mo money, mo problems. Isn't he the one that said that? It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Less money, bigger problems. Right. And in real estate, we've talked about it before, that can be a number of reasons. It can be just an uneducated, I don't mean uneducated in the sense of full education, but in the processing, people who haven't done as many real estate deals on both sides, buyers, sellers, investors, uh, it's there's more issues, more static comes up because people are nervous. They, they don't know the right steps. They make mistakes. They're trying to put deals together that aren't deals. There's lots of reasons. But even if you check aside that, it just makes more sense that if you a bigger deal that makes more money. Let's say you make hundred thousand dollars on one deal, and you're normally making twenty, you know, twenty thousand. That's you're gonna. That's five deals to make that same hundred thousand. Right. So that still makes more. You know what I mean? Like yep. even is the effort five times? What you don't know? No, it's not normally. Yeah. So go on. All right. All right. I'm gonna go over some some big numbers. You know, like mm -hmm. from totaling up this these lists and everything and all of our 
top 200 deals, just so you can get a reference point. Total revenue, we have done $13,380,043 total revenue in our first 200 deals. Okay? Okay. That's, that's a lot of money. Total gross profit we've done is $5,702,251. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, that's, about, that's a gross profit margin of about 42.6%. Now, when I say gross profit, what I'm what I'm looking at here is just the property specific expenses and everything. You know, we're not we're not looking at expenses for our business as a whole. You know, with uh, our staff, our marketing, software, any other business type of overhead that's not kind of calculated in that. So, so we see five point seven million dollars in gross profit. That's not actually what we brought home at the end of the day. But right, but, but that's, those, that's per pro, those, that's a property, like what those properties mm-hmm. generated. Right. And that's important to know because first of all, I don't want anyone thinking, okay, I can just do this. And you know, we still paid a lot of money in marketing to right. get to that. Right. The other reason that we don't include that is that it's hard to break down our staff. Like, okay, you spent an hour on this one at this, it, it would just be impossible right. for us. So we look at this number and also that could be convoluted too, because what if there was actual you know, on one of these properties, it took more staffing hours because there was some sort of title issue or something. That doesn't really make sense to include for when we're thinking of what we want to do our outreach for. Right. So it's and important to keep it separate. That's right. And, and maybe maybe you're a solopreneur and you're doing everything yourself. And then obviously you don't have to pay staff costs and all these other things that we've got. So right. we're, we're reinvesting a lot of our profits back into our business to grow mm-hmm. it, to do bigger and bigger things. So we wanted to do 20 million in mm-hmm. revenue in... Um, 2024. So, you know, we're, we're amping, we're gearing up to do that. Right. And we're staff heavy in anticipation of that. So we're, We're, yeah, we're, we're basically building a team for where we're going, not where we're at right now. Which is cool. It does cut down on the profits significantly, but we're thinking it'll pay off at the end. That's right. Okay. As Wayne Gretzky said, skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. As Heather, where it is. Heather Delaney Reese said, uh, (laughs) Put you in your quotes, so you're on fire. Yeah, I'm on fire with this. Okay. So anyhow, those are kind of the big numbers. So in total, we spent $7,207,821 in order to bring in $13,380,043. So when you look at it that way, we put that much towards properties in order to get put in 7.2 to get 13.3 back, something like that. So it's close to doubling, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So it's a 42.6% gross profit margin, so to be exact. Thank you for doing that that math for me. Okay, so here are kind of the things that we were calculating after we sorted this list of our 200 Mm -hmm. deals. So I was looking at average days in inventory, which overall, our average days in inventory, all the properties we sold, 92.64 92.64 days. Right. And it's interesting because there's a few. I wonder if we did. What is it when in, in college when they would take off the top and the bottom? The outliers. Mm-hmm. But what's it called where you, you well, graded the. You know, did you end up doing that? Well, I've got the I've got the median. So the median where you basically put the list in order and mm-hmm. then you take the middle. Right. But there was uh, I remember they did it on cur- on a curve. So you would take off. Right. Oh, so, OK. So I went because I know that there's some that were really quick. Mm-hmm. But then there were some that were long that really messed up the thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's if you took off both of those, that would still be shorter. Mm-hmm. I think you'd be much closer right. to the 60. Yeah, I probably mark. should have calculated the, the median days in inventory to kind of account for that. Because that basically takes them all and you just look at the middle. Right. So Yeah. But I didn't do that for average days in inventory for some reason. I did That's that for fine. I did that for gross profit and everything else. So mm-hmm. you can see how that changes. So it basically takes away those outliers, you right. know what I mean? So so they're not as relevant, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, so average gross profit per deal. That's another metric. Overall, mm-hmm. it was $28,654. Okay. 
per deal on Not average. Bad. Yeah. Right. Median gross profit per deal. Basically, when we're cutting out those outliers, both high and low, it was $20,702 per deal. Want to learn the secret to building a thriving land flipping business? Head on over to landconquest.com and join over 2,000 passionate land flippers leveraging the power of community to scale quickly. Sign up for free at landconquest.com. All right, let's get back to the show. So when I look at that, I think, okay, right around 25000 is what mm-hmm. our, you know, Okay, so our average, also, we looked at average purchase price. Mm -hmm. So our average purchase price overall, $36,403. Median purchase price, you know, getting rid of those outliers Mm -hmm. again, we're talking, it was $25,907. That's That's, interesting, because I would have thought it was higher. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, also, we took a look at average revenue per deal. Mm -hmm. So our average revenue per deal, $66,905. So I guess on average... We bought properties for thirty-six thousand four hundred, mm-hmm. and average on revenue, we sold them for sixty-six thousand nine hundred. That makes so, sense. That sounds about right. Uh, yeah, and if you look at the median, the median revenue per deal was fifty-three thousand six eighty-one. So, if you're looking at the medians, we did twenty-five thousand dollars on the purchase, fifty-three thousand dollars on the resale. So, so all of these are about like our target number is always about fifty percent. And then it comes in 42. Yeah, yeah, that's higher. what we're trying to do. We're trying to double it. Mm-hmm. So whether and, it happens or not, you know. Yeah, but if you look at this, it, you're you're getting close. Yeah. Like that's that's not an offshoot. Like that's not saying like I'm going to make five billion dollars and right. making a million. You know what I mean? Like yeah, five billion. <laughs> five billion. Okay, I'll sure. take five billion. I do that though. That's my go-to is five billion and five also billion. like yeah. Then uh, we broke this down, this list down by like the top ten percent of of these transactions, top 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. And then also looked at the bottom 50 percent, bottom 20 percent, bottom 10 percent. And after I did a lot of work manually trying to calculate Uh, all these numbers and everything on my spreadsheets, Heather suggested that I use chat GPT. (laughs) Just walked in and I saw you. You're like, I've been spending hours with them. And I was like 90 percent done. I was like, damn it. Uh, yes, I should have thought about that. And it took me hours. But then what I did is I formatted the list. And then, you know, and then it was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to upload this list to ChatGPT and then start asking it questions. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because I basically formatted it the way they wanted to see it. They wanted to see it as a text file. So I did it as a CSV file and I uploaded it. And I'm like, hey, analyze it. And I kind of prepped it. And I said, I'm trying to do some studies about this. I'm going to ask you some questions. Anyhow, so it, it, it was kind of cool because it has all the data. And then I was asking it questions about like, okay, so what are the most profitable types of deals? What are, you know, like, so I was asking all kinds of different things. And sometimes the answers were a little bit not what I was looking for, but then I would restate things and, mm-hmm. and ask it to redo it again. And, uh, and overall, it came, came back with some pretty interesting insights. I was asked, because we also had data about the state's that all these properties were in and and things like that. So I was able to ask some questions about like, you know, what are the, what are the best states? What are the ones to stay away from? What are, you know, like all these types of things. So that would actually be really interesting um, to help our marketing department and our sales department stuff, understand these things, Mm -hmm. like sharing that and letting it ask, letting them ask it. Yeah. Yeah, Well, all that data is uploaded. So I could, I could go back to it now and ask it more questions. Um, And the other, the other thing I wanted to mention though, is that, yeah, it sucked that you didn't use chat GPT in the beginning, but I feel like there's a lot of value in just the inputting of this because you're forced to look at it. Yeah. And I guess you still had to create the information for it to interpret or to, to analyze, I guess. But I still think that there was a lot, like it wasn't lost that you spent time doing that. No, no, it was it wasn't lost. I mean, it was good to to really dive into it. But the other thing that you just mentioned, I think, is 
is probably lost by a lot of people is the fact that we track all this stuff. Like we mm -hmm. have this spreadsheet, so it's like there and we're keeping it up updated continuously. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at it, we're adjusting, we're doing all this stuff. And if I didn't have this and I, when I would try to go back and like recreate oh, all yeah. this stuff for 200 deals, it would have been a monumental task. That, right. Would never happen. Right. So. And that's another thing on why the bookkeeping is so important to, to stay on top of it, because you can't. What's you're saying again? You're, you can't you can't value what you can't. What is it? You can't you can't improve. you can't um, manage what you don't measure. Right. So, and so it's like so important because you we wouldn't have known like any of this mm -hmm. had, you know, that not happened. So. You know, I asked, I, I've got a lot of insight from ChatGPT and also from just kind of looking at the numbers and sort of making my, my drawing to some conclusions. The top 100 of our deals were 81.69% of our profit. Half of our deals mm -hmm. were over 80% of our profits. Not the 80-20 rule, but it still is significant for sure. You know, it's still, It still proves that whole theory that it, there's going to be a, a chunk of your profit is going to come from a smaller percentage of your sales than you think. Yeah. You know, I was guessing maybe it was the 80, 20% mm -hmm. because I, you know, I hear that so much, but, but it wasn't quite that, but it still is de definitely very significant. Mm -hmm. And it was about 73.76% of the revenue. Now I, you know, I track revenue a lot and that's kind of the big number that everyone likes to see and stuff like that. But, but really it's about the profit, you know, so profit's way more important than the revenue. Obviously revenue is important for cash flow and things like uh -huh. that. But, but when you break it down, um, it's, it's about the profit. I don't even look at the revenue. Mm -hmm. and, and I know a lot of people really are interested in that. Like, Oh, I had our sales were blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, congratulations. It's kind of a vanity number. In some it's a hundred percent vanity mm -hmm. number. And then talk about like, Oh, it's a, you know, the company has revenue of blah, blah. Okay. That's great. But if I mean, that could be a losing company. Mm -hmm. That could be a company on the verge of bankruptcy. Right. It doesn't matter. It's all, to me, it's all about the profit. Yeah. You could have 20 million in revenue, but you're losing $2 million a year. Right. So. Next, talking about the bottom 100 deals. Now, the bottom two 100 deals were 18.39% of our profit. Do we have some like dread music that can be played? I feel like that's I'm sure that can be edited in. Maybe I'll do some sort of sound effect here. We keep saying that and you haven't. I'm scared to press one of these buttons and we'll be on... We'll be on some sort of robot voice or something like that That's for the rest of the fun. episode. Okay, bottom 100 deals, 18.39% of our profit. That kind of stinks. So 50% of our deals only brought in 18% of mm -hmm. our income. Yeah, that sucks. Right. Okay, go on. Yeah, so... I mean, that's 100 deals. 100 mm -hmm. deals were only 18% of our, our profit. And it was about 26% per of the revenue. Okay, so I'm gonna, now I'm going to take a look at, uh, I've just done some summary stuff here. So I'm gonna be looking at the top 100 deals and I'm gonna kind of summarize the, the, the details on that. I'm gonna look at the bottom 100 deals, kind of uh, summarize some things on that. And then the bottom 20% of the deals, the real stinkers, the crappy deals. There's 40, 40 there that just are kind of embarrassing to look at. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about them anyhow. So just so uh, you all can help, um, can avoid those types of deals in the future, and uh, yeah, and hopefully that will I don't know allow this, me to do that as well. I don't see this number on here, so I just kind of calculated it. But anyways, I took your if we, our our total revenue was thirteen million three hundred eighty whatever that whole thing mm -hmm. and then I multiplied it by eighteen point three nine percent because that was the profit mm -hmm. so fifty percent of our deals brought in did you already do this it's not on here but I, I think I have it on the sheet here on the, on this one um, the actual spreadsheet one yeah it says like if you look at the whole thing so it's only thirteen million dollars in profit mm -hmm. I, I rounded down whatever that means that that fifty percent of the deals brought in only two million of that the other fifty percent brought in like eleven million. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at it, like, well, I, the profit was five point seven. 
not 13. I oh, I'm, so, 13. I'm sorry. Gro- I'm, I'm talking about gross revenue. Oh, okay. The yeah, revenue, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that, if you look at the gross revenue, that that really puts it in perspective. Yeah. yeah. So it's like 13 million and whatever was the gross profit. Mm-hmm. And then if we cut it, the gross revenue, gross revenue, cheese, yes. gross <laughs> revenue. revenue. Yeah. yeah, whatever. That's it, the 80, 20 kind of thing. If you broke that to our, but in our case, 50, 50, 50% of that brought in, mm-hmm. you know, what over 11 million and the 50% only brought in 2.4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like uh, as far as profit mm-hmm. goes, the, like the bottom 50% of mm-hmm. our deals were a million dollars in, in gross profit. And the top 100 deals were 4.65 million. Okay, so if you look at it that way, do you instantly say like, nah, we should use that money for somewhere else or something else? Uh, Or do you say- It's tough. Because it's like a million dollars is still a million dollars. So like we should shut up. Right. Or shut the up. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a balance. Yeah, and I wanted to get into that with you here at the end here too. I mean, these, you know, when you look at this, you would think, okay, it's pretty clear we should only be doing like the deals in the top 100. Mm-hmm. But then you look at this and you say, okay, um, the bottom 100 deals made us a million dollars in profit. Mm-hmm. Should we just throw those out? Well, because then if I take into account that, that there's still the same manpower, mm-hmm. there's still the same resource resource use, what's our actual profit in that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that because then you look at it, maybe we should. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should be like, nope, we're not doing it because we probably are... I mean, it's great to say, oh, a million dollars, and but that's not exactly what we're like depositing. That's true. You know, true. it's not like I have a million dollars sitting in the bank from these deals. I don't. Mm-hmm. So I probably have way more in the bank from the four million dollars in deals than I do in the one million of deals. Mm-hmm. So it might actually be also a resource suck. That one million might be taking resources away from the team that could be put towards the $4 million profit area. Mm -hmm. And I guess some of it comes down to the capacity of your team as well. Like how Mm -hmm. much additional capacity do you have? Right. Like if you're, if your team members are just sitting around doing nothing, then it makes sense to, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, at least be working on some things that are generating some profit. So it's a balance, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's a balance. So. Right. And maybe that means too, we'll get through all these other numbers, but just as a kind of midpoint, maybe that we do, we separated it now, now that we understand it, then we really analyze those, that lower 50%. Well, first of all, we analyze the top part and mm-hmm. say, how do we get more of these deals? Cause that's a no brainer. Right. I hate saying no brainer to people who don't have brains. Sorry. I'm just jealous people of people with no brains. They're not okay. listening to this. Okay. I know <laughs> maybe they are. I don't know. Um, but so, you know, it goes, it goes, just cut that out. Let's <laughs> <laughs> keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I'm just jealous of your coffee. But mm. it, I think that it shows that when we're analyzing these things, and right now we're obviously just having a conversation. You guys are just listening in because this is the first time Pina have really talked about it. But I think that we we really need to analyze both sides of that. And if we can max out the team on the top end, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then we find another use for the bottom ones. They're still valuable. Right. But they're not as valuable. Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a there's a little bit of a balance and you know maybe as as we're analyzing this and we'll we'll go through this a little bit more but definitely we should be cutting out I think some of the deals which we know from the beginning are not going to be super profitable deals. And then they end up being kind of a drag and you know like this top the the bottom 20% which we're going to get into that's it's kind of you know it's really pathetic, some of the numbers there. <laughs> but, good. but maybe we projected higher uh, on some of those as well than we actually achieved. So Right, and those are talking points. And maybe you get with the team and we analyze this and say, okay, where did we go wrong? Mm-hmm. And if by where did we go wrong and you're the only person that made that decision, then you need to get with yourself and 
and decide. <laughs> is that what you're trying apply? to say, Heather? No. Where did I? Because those were all my decisions, but I learned from oh. them. Yeah, I mean, there's val- there's value in all that. Let's go back into okay. the numbers. We'll, we'll okay. circle back to this conversation. We'll circle back. Anyhow. I hate that phrase. That's why you <laughs> yeah, say that. Matt. We'll it. circle back. Okay, top 100 deals. <laughs> okay, here, here's kind of the average. Here's, here's the numbers for the top 100 deals. Okay, average gross profit on those top 100 deals, mm-hmm. $46,580. Median gross profit from the first 100 deals, $35,870. Mm-hmm. All right. Average purchase price. 47,841. Median purchase price, 45,000. Pretty similar there. Average resale price, 98,695. Median resale, 85,787. And uh, when we're looking at the average days on the market, 77.94 days. Mm-hmm. And then uh, again, this is 81.69% of our profit and 73.76% of the revenue. From that, we can kind of make some generalizations that like, hey, we're on average, we're buying these properties for like 45000 and we're reselling them for eighty five to 100000 in in that range. That's kind of characteristic of a, of a typical deal in the, in the top 100, I guess. When we first started, I liked when you did the cheaper ones, like the $10,000 profit, I mean, $10,000, $15,000 purchase price. And then you sold it for twenty five, thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. I really liked those. Those felt safe to me. If I lost fifteen thousand dollars because I was still un, you know, unsure of mm-hmm. everything, it felt like, okay, that was fine. We can handle it. It felt like someone would buy a property for thirty thousand dollars. Like this, mm-hmm. it just felt like those were safe numbers. As you have gotten more into it, this is the range that I feel more comfortable with. And I've said that over and over again. Like the under fifty thousand dollar, like the the forty to actually forty five to fifty thousand, that felt actually like the safest range. Yeah. Like, I really liked that one. And then they sold quick. And it makes sense because a lot of these people that are buying it, or most of them, wouldn't you say they're cash? Yeah, they're cash. They're, they're mostly cash. Right. Yeah. So that's someone who's refinanced their home in the past few years, saved up $100,000 is not like a million. Like, it used to be $100,000 used to be a lot. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a lot, but I'm saying that in this in this realm, there's a big difference between someone buying a $100,000 property and someone buying even a $150,000 property. Yeah. It's funny that over time, my thoughts on this has changed, like the more information I've had, because I thought for sure that those were going to be the profitable, the fastest, the least headache. To me, that seemed like, wow, those are actually not cheapo properties at $15,000 purchase, because I was thinking a cheapo property is like $5,000 or something cheapo. I use that word. It doesn't really mean that, but you know what I mean? Cheapo. Like cheapo. <laughs> But I wouldn't have known that unless we started doing some analyzing over the past few years, right? Right. But now with this information, that's exactly, it's true. Like yep. those are the right, and it, and if you look at the logistics of it, it makes sense. That's the whole thing. You know, it's a lot easier to sell a $100,000 property than it is a $250,000 property if you're talking cash only. And there's not a lot of like land loans out there. Mm-hmm. They're normally like wrap loans with a mobile home or a house or construction or whatever. Yeah. I mean, do you run across a lot that are just straight financing for land? Uh, there are. You know, we, we do get some mm-hmm. deals that are, you know, people get land loans. You know, mm-hmm. they're putting like 30% down, something like that. But I do want to mention something. You mentioned that like the $250,000 properties. Like some of those actually You're sell right. pretty quickly. You're right. So... Yeah, if they're if they're a premium property, uh, they sell pretty quickly. Actually, it's the it's the ones that are on the lower end, as you'll see from from this mm-hmm. next thing that we're going into. Uh, they tend to actually sell slower. And uh, I think the I issue know. with the two hundred fifty thousand dollars ones is they're harder to get. They are harder to get. That's, you have less of them. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's just less of them because, and a lot of those are those some kind of development. They're not necessarily like for someone to build a home on. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, or, they could or be. larger kind of acreage yeah. tracks or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, because 
really, if I should back my comment up, those we would do every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because those are actually really like good. Those, yeah. yeah they're, I mean, that's a chunk of money. It's profitable. It's a, that whole thing where, yeah, we could sell two and a half of this one or just one of those. Yeah. What are you going to do? Boost your land flipping earnings with our new Land Conquest business system. It's designed for efficiency and effectiveness. This cutting edge software tool is your key to success in the land flipping industry. Streamline and automate your operations to scale your business to new heights. With our system, you get a customizable website with six professional templates to choose from, up to five dedicated phone numbers, each with their own chosen area codes for creating a trustworthy local presence. And as a bonus, you'll get a $25 credit for SMS and email sends. You'll also get access to our tech team to build any automations or customizations that you want. And not to mention, we've got a great dedicated community to the Land Conquest business system to help us all thrive together. And with every step of the way, you get our 24-7 live chat support. But that's not all. You'll also gain access to our exclusive community to connect and grow with fellow land flippers. Seize the opportunity to transform your business. Visit software.landconquest.com to check out the Land Conquest business system and unlock the next stage of your land flipping success. Okay, so what do you? what's the next okay, step? Okay, so next, let's talk about the bottom 100 deals. These are the ones that are, eh. and after that, we'll even go into the bottom 20% of deals. Yeah, painful. So these are kind of characteristics of these bottom 100 deals as a whole. Average gross profit, $10,442. Median gross profit, $10,751. So no real difference there. Average purchase price, $24,431. Median purchase price, $18,496. So as a whole, you know, these are kind of the cheaper properties. Average resale price, $35,114. Median resale price, $29,603. Average days on market, 107.34 days. Wow, okay. Yeah, so that's basically a month longer than the top mm-hmm. 100 deals. And then this uh, represents 18.39% of the profit and 26.24% of the revenue. It's weird because that's only like a $20,000 difference from mm-hmm. yeah. the purchase price, but I can see it. I, I wonder also if there's less motivation on all sides because as it gets, the price gets cheaper, agents don't make as much. Yeah, that's true. Maybe even some closing places. Normally it's a flat fee, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe to them, it's just kind of like not as big of a deal. Yeah. Because to them, even though they're making the same amount of money, they're thinking, well, it's just a cheap property. I'll get to it when I get to it. You know, I, I, I think the big thing is, you know, probably if, if I'm being honest with myself, some of these cheaper properties, mm-hmm. they probably have some some issues, you know, why they're they're cheap. Mm-hmm. It's you know, not or, just the size. Yeah, maybe not just the size. Maybe it's just like, okay, there, we knew that this property isn't premium for this reason. Mm-hmm. Still bought it anyway because I realized it was really cheap to me. And maybe in hindsight, some of those weren't the best deals to do. It's just harder to overcome that. Right. Right. And so maybe, even though it has value, right. it's not as big of a buyer pool. And I wonder, too, if someone's looking at like, OK, I want this five acre piece of property and I can buy it for thirty five thousand dollars. I'm getting a discount because there's well, give me an issue. There's a lot of slope. OK, there's a lot of slope. But I really want to live there. But I could also wait and spend another twenty five thousand dollars and get one that's got that's flat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not on the side of a it's hill. Not, yeah. It has to be a, a really good um, motivation for them to 
you know, I mean, it has to be so cheap that they're like, well, this is, I can live there. Or you're targeting somebody who doesn't have as much money that it's their one way in. Yeah, yeah, like that's, they're stretching to do this mm -hmm. and that's the only way they're going to be able to get a piece of land or something like that, yeah. We talk about that over and over again and I and I feel like I stress it too much, but like don't force a deal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that comes down to it. Like, okay, there's, yeah, it's cheap, but it needs to be the prime lot in the, I mean, we keep saying, but if it's cheap enough, buy it anyways, but maybe not. Maybe not. Or maybe we take off more than we normally do and say, hey. And maybe maybe part of the problem was on some of these deals, I was overly optimistic. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of them, I started out higher on what we were trying to sell it for. Mm -hmm. And I didn't completely factor in as much as I should have the, the downsides of the, some of these things. Right. So. Well, we can tell the days on the market you had to, you were chasing it down. Yeah. Yeah. I was reducing. You know, in, all, in most all of these cases, in a lot of them mm -hmm. at least, I was reducing the price every so often mm -hmm. because I knew that at some point, someone's going to buy it. Mm -hmm. And I would leave it at a certain price on the market, you know, and, and then if there weren't any takers, then I knew we were still too high. Right. You know, that's that's kind of the way it works. And really, when we talk about it, like, oh, you hear people do this all the time with their house. Oh, my house is worth $2 million, whatever. No, it's not. It's right. Your house is worth whatever someone will pay for your house. Yeah. So you do your best estimate, but you have no idea. And if an agent says, I can definitely sell it for this, unless they have a buyer lined up, they're lying. Cause yeah. They should say, I really feel like it'll sell for this. Yeah. This yeah. is what I want to do. I think I can get, you know? Yeah. So, okay, now I'm getting depressed already. So, yeah. Okay. So, that's that's kind of the summary. I mean, we're, we're learning from this and, you know, we've learned a lot from these all these 200 deals and, you know, it's it's been kind of exponential in a way. So, are you saying this for my benefit or theirs? Everyone's benefit. Okay. Okay. Everyone's benefit. If you don't learn from your mistakes, uh, then you're just uh, destined to repeat them, I guess. I think it's, so. it's doomed. Those who don't learn from their mistakes are doomed to repeat them. Yes, that's that's the quote. Whoever said that, I appreciate that. So anyhow, next, let's go into the bottom 20% of the deals. These are the crap deals. These are the ones. Do you want to use this as like the thumbnail? Like? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the ones I wish I could have back. These were 40 deals that were in this category, 20% of God, 240 deals. This is horrible. Right. 3.5% of the profits. So if we could have just lopped these, you know, bottom 20% off, bottom 20% of the deals, it would have been great because mm -hmm. this would have, you know. Anyhow, 3.5% uh, of profits, 7.06% mm -hmm. of revenue. Our average gross profit on these deals, $5,014. Average purchase price of these deals, 21,799 average days in inventory 145 days. That's so weird because this is not that big of a difference. Mm -hmm. Like when I look at this and it's like average purchase price of the tier above it is 24,000. Mm -hmm. This one's only 21,000. Oh, I need to look at what was the average resale price of these. What's funny though because you're talking about the top 100 deals that had an average purchase price of 47,000. Mm. So that's a, a $23,000 drop to the lower. So there that okay that's a big chunk I can look at that and I can be like okay that makes sense. This one is so small 24 to is that even clinically clinically is that even significant like 21 to 24 I guess. Yeah. It is in the realm of that this is, you know, what percentage is that? But just kind of like eyeballing it, it doesn't seem like it's that much. Yeah. So the average resale uh, price on these was 23632 So, <laughs> Which is average purchase price of 21000 Yeah. Average sale price of 23 Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I don't know how that, that equates to $5,000 in gross profit and average, but it somehow does. Yeah, that might be something we can go back and ask ChatGPT, but um, <laughs> didn't it help with your our daughter's homework too, math homework? Well, I asked it to kind of, I was struggling with, with one concept that I, mm-hmm. I've never done, or maybe I did it a long time ago. And I, I was like, okay, solve this problem, but show me the work. So then right. I could see what the steps were. So why are kids not using it? Because the teachers thought they were getting away from like, oh, I can prove that you're not using a calculator because yeah. you have to show me the work. Uh-huh. Chat GPT can show you the work. Well, I, th- I just think that education needs to evolve. I mean, because these tools are going to be available to all these kids. So why not just kind of incorporate that into it? Like show me how to how you would get the solution. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing, because it used to be like, you're not going to have a calculator when you're in the middle of the Sahara Desert and you mm-hmm. save yourself by doing this yeah. word problem. Yeah, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Show them how to ask that, you know, AI programs to figure out the stuff that they need. Right. How to use a tool. Right. You know, like no different than how to use a hammer. Right. You know, you got to know how to use a tool to get the job done. Right. And maybe go back to like help them understand what it's like to buy the first house. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Critical thinking and everything is is Mm -hmm. obviously very important. Problem solving, all that kind of stuff. But this stuff that they have them learning in eighth grade math. I mean, unless you're going to be an engineer or some sort of scientist, something like that, you're never, ever going to use anything remotely close to that in, in, in your real life or in your in your day job or whatever the case may be. So maybe there needs to be a little bit more effort put into specializing, you know, based off on the path of the particular student, because mm-hmm. it's it's completely pointless to be teaching them some of this stuff. So Right, two things. She really likes her math teacher, so it's... Okay. If her math well, teacher hears this, she thinks he's, okay. he's pretty yes, cool. Yes, that's right. I'm um, just good. This is my own commentary. No, but the other part of that is that I think that the focus should be more on teaching them how to problem solve and to think of problems that we don't even know that we need solving instead of just solving problems that have already been solved Mm -hmm. a million times over and over again, teach them the concepts and how to use technology, which will be available. I thought we were going to get taken away by like sinkholes. I don't know if that was a big thing. And what are the mirages? Quicksand? Quicksand and and mirages. Like I was scared to death of that in third grade because like my teacher was like, if you are ever in the, you know, the death valley and you see that, don't. (laughs) Yeah. I have still yet to find myself in Death Valley. You know what I mean? Well, you drive through there on the way to Vegas. Yeah, well, and thankfully I haven't had to stop, but there's also five gazillion people there that hopefully would throw a bottle of water at me. So, Well, if you stop in Baker, you can get a um, bottle of water at the convenience store. There we go. With a big thermometer. Thermometer, yeah. By the way, that was for sale a number of years ago. And I remember seeing it on LoopNet and being like, we got to buy that. Yeah, and then I was like, and what will we do with it? Like, <laughs> Buy the giant thermometer on the way to Vegas? That's when you sell um, the naming rights to it, like to different companies. Like, See, that's that the smart way been. to do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then you have the actual, you set up some sort of like online betting about what the temperatures, like that's what we always did. Mm-hmm. We would do when the kids were little, when we were driving out there, they had to guess what the temperature, we'd tell them, okay, we're 10 miles away and here's the temperature on the car. What's it going to say on the thing? Yes. And then whoever got closest got to pick where we'd eat dinner that first time. Yeah, night. yeah, that was fun. Um, that was fun. I don't know. It just shows that the, the numbers are super important. Um, I mean, one last thing about the, the drive to Vegas thing. Mm. Uh, if you'll indulge for one second, I always used to think like, I'm going to buy one of these pieces of land along there and then do something absurd that everyone is going to notice and which will lead to advertising opportunities or naming rights or something like that. Like mm-hmm. the world's biggest golf ball or world's <laughs> biggest something. You know what I mean? Well, I, And yeah. it just... There along the side of the road. <laughs> right. Well, if we're actually saying other road trip things, if someone's looking for another business to start, when we were in Europe, we stopped at a gas station and it had the world's best food. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was like a rest stop type thing. Uh-huh. And it was the coolest thing. This is Austria. Austria. Okay. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I, I was just there for the bathrooms, but we walked in and the, the our tour 
driver, I guess driver was like, hey, get some food while you're here. I was like, I just have to use the restroom. And I walked in, went to the left and these bathrooms were like super, super clean. Like it was, it was set up for this. There was a gas station, there was an animal area, there was a play yard, all this kind of stuff. He's like, you should grab something to eat. I'm not hungry. And I looked and then I look over, I'm like, oh my God, it was like the most impressive Quality food. It was cafeteria style, uh-huh. but it was like really like the desserts, everything. It looked, it was, it was amazing. You it know, was insane. If they did something like that in the United States, in California or something like that, right. it would be like off the chain busy, like crazy busy. Oh yeah. And so. it was because, and you couldn't stop. I think we got Emily ice cream and it, it was fresh gelato is actually what it was. Um, there was fresh fruits that were already cut up. There was comfort food. I mean, it was kind of like a smorgasbord. Yes. That's what it reminded me of. You just paid for your food individually. Right. Like that, so. But we don't, I mean like a buffet, buffet. of sorts out here, but a smorgasbord does feel different because on the East coast, it was, especially in, in Lancaster, it was more quality, like home cooking. And that's what mm-hmm. this felt. I mean, the food there out there tastes better. Like the fruits and vegetables have more flavor in Europe. Mm-hmm. It's their different standards, whatever. But yeah, if you're looking for something like that, you get a piece of land and you build something like that where it's, you know, you're forced to, you have to stop on the way to Vegas. Most mm-hmm. people do. I don't know. Maybe you have an ironclad bladder. I don't. So I'm forced to stop or get gas or whatever. I know you have an electric car, so not your problem. That would be such an amazing business model to bring out here. Yeah. And if you do, please let me know so I can be the first guest there. Please have vegan food. So You'd I be can an eat. investor, Heather. I would be an investor. I would and invest too. We've looked at, we're actually open to that. If you've got some sort of other business ideas. Yeah, we're open to investing. Mm-hmm. It's got to be good. So. Unique. Something that's. Moving ahead software, with the times. anything, anything you got. Yeah. Let me know. Email me. All right. So we're talking about the bottom 20 percent of the deals, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I think the conclusion here is that you know we probably want to steer away from some of these cheaper deals going mm-hmm. forward. And um, you know, the best range, I guess, when you were just kind of looking at these general numbers as a whole, is you know, if we're projecting a profit of forty thousand plus per deal, so that's what's. That's what kind of the averages show for those top 100 deals. So you're taking this information, you're saying, irregardless of pr- like pricing, or whatever, we need to be trying to make at least double our money, make f- at least $40,000. Or are you looking at it and you're saying, I shouldn't do the the cheaper deals at all? What? How are you looking at that? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm kind of looking at both sides of things. So I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, so for our marketing, for our outreach or direct mail and everything like that. I'm going to focus more on these types of properties where we're buying them for $40,000, $50,000 and um, trying to double our money on them. So those are the, the most impactful deals. On the other side, you know, we get leads coming in from other sources as well, you know, meaning pay-per-click and all this kind of stuff. And I really want to stay away from the deals that are less than $10,000 projected profit for sure. So, uh, you, And maybe we, we cut that off a lot higher than that as well. Do you think that in our pay-per-click ad, like advertising, we should say, if you have a property over... Yeah, maybe there's some things that we could do to kind of kind of uh, discourage some of the, the people that have like um, less, less valuable mm-hmm. type properties. I wonder, because I know a lot of people would probably say like, oh, but mine is. Right. Yeah, I think we'll get a lot of that. And, that, and that'll happen. But mm-hmm. it's just a, a filtering process, you know, when it comes to leads and, and potential deals and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So, and I mean, I guess another takeaway is the longer that we hold the deals, the less profitable we are. But on the other hand, it, we might be holding them too long because they're crappier properties and we were off on our projection of what they were actually worth. So should you drop the price quicker? Maybe you do like an initial one and then an initial one. And then after that, you really get rid of it. Yeah. And definitely, definitely I could have been doing a better job. I didn't have a systemized process a lot of times because I've I've been handling the marketing side of things like all myself. Mm -hmm. Like we've got, 
you know, nearly 50, 50 active listings at this point. So it's hard for me to juggle all that. We brought on another team member recently who's going to be on top of that, like based off some set parameters that we've got. So yeah, if you didn't have a deadbeat wife like me that was helping, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deadbeat Heather. No, I think it's, you know, it, that goes back to why we have the team is that we need it. There's only so much time in the day. And if you're sitting there, you're looking at stale inventory. Yeah, you want to get to it, but that's not as pressing as something that's going to bring an in income right now. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what way I've always skewed. It's always been more exciting for me to look at potential new deals and all this kind of stuff. And right. rather than Or you just have to. I'm pulling right. up our, our questions right now. Right. Um, so, yeah, you should we are we good with this? Yeah, time? yeah, I think so. I think we're good. And maybe we'll do some more analysis of these things uh, in future episodes. Let us know in the comments if there's any other questions that you had or something like that. And maybe we can address that in a future episode. Yeah. And if you find these interesting, I find it interesting because it, it helps me actually learn about our business. And if we're going to do it on the podcast, it forced you to actually sit down and do that. Like it, it makes you so right. that we can provide that. So, okay. So Clay says double close. Oh, first of all, oh. before you get into these, yes. uh, these oh, yeah, questions are, are from our community, which is at, can be found at landconquest.com. This is our land flipping community. As of this film, we've got over 2,400 members in our community. And at, as of this moment, we are giving away, or we are providing a extensive training program for free mm-hmm. in our community. Which is now, also free to join, by the way, because we know, is, I don't know if we say that. But yeah, the community is free to join. Okay. And this uh, training program is completely uh, free to all the members in there right now. I have to be honest, I'm actually in the process of reevaluating that right now, thinking about maybe charging for it. Really? So if, you, if you're in the community, if you're thinking about getting in the community, go through the course quickly because, I mean, I, I just feel that a lot of people don't take it seriously because it's free. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't made any sort of decision yet, but I, I honestly am thinking about that. Okay, well, I like money, so I wouldn't be mm-hmm. opposed to it. I still would charge a price that's quite a bit less than mm-hmm. what other comparable programs and stuff are, are charging so it wouldn't there, be like a $20,000 program. You wouldn't charge that even if the value no. was there. You'd do it more... Mm-hmm. More accessible, yeah. if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. If we get more people to do it, and we talked about this, why did we, you know, give it away in the first place? It's because we have other ways that we make money, and if we train you properly to be, you know, a successful land broker, we we both benefit. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole thing going into it. But if it would make people take it more seriously, and for some people, they just think that things that are free that don't don't have value. Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the feeling I get. Like I, I I just don't think many people take it seriously because they give it away for free. Right. And I hear some people saying, "Oh, I bought one too," and then I did yours, and I was like, "Boy, yours is so much better than the one I bought." And it's yeah. like, well, you wasted money to find that out. So back to this question, Clay says double close. I've heard a lot recently about people adding double close into their tool belt for their business. I've got a deal that is a good option for this, but have not done one yet or before. We'd love to hear pros and cons from anyone who has done a few double close deals. Also, when doing a double close, what documents have you used to have the right to market it? I assume some kind of power of attorney type document, but curious how these need to be structured. Okay. First of all, can you say what a double market is? I mean, a double close. Double closes. Basically, as an investor, you get the property locked up Mm -hmm. under contract, and then you line up a buyer. You don't actually close on the deal. You're basically just making money in between. So you you get it locked up in a contract to buy it from a seller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then while you're in escrow, you Mm -hmm. then have the rights to market it to an end buyer. Right. And then. Yeah. And then the end buyer steps up, brings their money to actually close the deal and you don't have to bring any money. And then you just make the money in between. So the spread. So I know, Clay, in your comments, you said you've heard a lot of uh, a lot of talk about people doing double closes. You haven't heard that talk from me. (laughs) It's it's definitely not something that I recommend. I mean, hey, I know it's possible people make Mm -hmm. money doing that. But I'll tell you, this business is hard enough as is without getting 
that that extreme level of complication that you're putting yourself into there. First of all, you got to you got to somehow talk to sellers and and explain to them how this is good for them. I'm not sure that that's a that's a tough road. Mm-hmm. First of all, there you have to be transparent. I mean, you, you know, first of all, you got to let them know what you're going to be doing. You're going to be getting it under contract. You're going to be putting it on the market, trying to find an end buyer, and then they're going to have to wait around for that end buyer to come around. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense from their perspective. So it's tough in that way. And if um, you don't, then. Are you looking for funding for your land flipping deal? Then head on over to partnerwithpete.com. It's an innovative new funding program where we split the profits with you 50-50, but we take it one step further and we handle every other step of the process in the land flipping business. Yes, that means we handle all the due diligence. If the property needs any value add like clearing brush, perk test, survey, we'll get that paid for up front. Then when the property resells, we split the profits 50-50. There is absolutely no downside for you as an investor. If we lose money, we don't pass that on to you. But when we make money, when we make profit, we split the proceeds 50-50. So as a recap, we handle every part of the process. We split the profits with you 50-50. There's no downside for you as the investor, only upside. So go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and we'll get it checked out within 24 hours. Right. You don't close it. Right. Then, you know, you've got to deal, you know, there's a lot of properties that you get under contract with, you spend some time with, and you find out that there's title issues. All right. So that's that's another complication that, that uh, you know, you might put in all this effort to find a buyer and do all the stuff, and then you find out there's a bad title to it anyhow. So and then you, you waste all your time. And two people pissed off at you on both right. sides. So say you find an end buyer. Well, first of all, finding the end buyer is going to be difficult because in a lot of states, they're not going to let you actually put that on the market and market it unless you have the deed to the property. There's, there's That's happened in, in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot more agents and things were open to that, but there's been put, a lot of restrictions put on that lately because of these types of situations. Well, because um, it could look, also look like fraud because you're marketing property you don't actually own. Yeah. So, and they're very worried about people taking advantage of other people and saying, I own it. Right. Exactly. And somehow profiting off it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and then the other thing is the double close transaction itself. Now, in some states, that's completely not legal. You can't, you it's can't illegal, do that. You, yeah. you might find, you might find a closing company that may kind of fudge the rules and do that for you. But in some states, that's, that's probably not going to happen. So some states admit it may, double close may be fine as long as it's disclosed, but you're going to have to figure out that nuance and that, everything. It's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot that re- the stars really have to align in order for that type of deal to work. And that's why we don't teach it. Right. And the reason people do it is because they don't have the money to fund it. Right. That's the whole reason someone does this. It, it makes no sense unless you're trying to come up with money you don't have. So a lot of the it's it's you're just wholesaling. Yeah, you're wholesaling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but you're doing. But, yeah. You're, you're kind of not you're not wholesaling it to another investor right. who will actually close on the purchase. You're whole you're trying to wholesale it to the end buyer. Right. All so. while never actually taking. So what happens in the double close is that. The end buyer is the one who, okay, they wire their money to escrow mm-hmm. and then they simultaneously take it. They use that money to do the first one for a split second. It goes to you, split second, it, it goes to that. You know what I mean? There's yeah, a lot of so, things. So you don't need to though, because you could use partner with Pete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Partner with Pete. That's exactly, there's a great segue <laughs> I'm there. I'm leading you. Yes. I'm leading you. I'm giving you. Partner a- with Pete. Essentially what we do is we use our money to fund the deal. So mm-hmm. you don't have to do this type of situation. So what happens is as an investor, You've got a deal under contract. You submit it to the Partner with Pete program, which is partnerwithpete.com. And we look at it. If it's a deal and it matches our criteria, we'll say, okay, we'll do this deal. We'll fund this deal. And we'll 
use our own money to close on the deal. And not only that, we'll basically take the baton and run with it from there. We'll handle every other part of the process. And there's a lot of parts of the process, meaning we'll handle all the research of the property. We'll commit any funds needed towards um, value add, meaning brush clearing or survey or perk test or any of that kind of stuff and uh, close the deal. And we will then find an agent to resell it for us, do the marketing and everything. And then uh, when the property resells, we split the profits 50-50. So as an investor, there's no downside for you. You don't have to jump through all those weird hoops like that. We actually close it with our money and uh, and it's a win-win scenario. Very good. Next question. Brent says, resources for staying informed regarding new laws. What tools, resources, apps, or websites that you use to help keep you in the know of any new or pending state federal laws that would affect this business. Yeah, I would stay real tapped into our Land Conquest community. Uh, just recently saw someone post some something in there about some some updates about that were happening in, in a particular state. But yeah, that's that's the best way is to stay networked with other land investors. You know, people are doing business all over the country and everything. And uh, you know, and then also your um, regular title companies and escrow companies, things like that, they'll be on top of that. And if you're attorneys, if you're dealing with attorneys in particular states, um, they, they can help you with that as well. That's another so. reason why we recommend with your, you do closings is that you use an attorney or closing a yeah. company, escrow, title, it's whatever it is. That's their job. Yeah. And they're going to say, hey, did you hear, if you have a good relationship, that did you hear blah, blah, blah is happening? So. Yeah. Okay. Kenneth says HOA or no HOA. I hear a lot of people saying don't pull lists in areas that have HOAs, but why? How do HOAs restrict land. I'd love some real examples instead of just because they restrict you. Thanks. Well, Kenneth, well, they restrict you. Yeah, they restrict you. Um, no, I mean, the, the big deal is like, it's completely possible to buy and sell and flip land in communities that have HOAs. And we've we've bought and sold land, land in, uh, with HOAs. And we just bought one last week. But I don't prefer it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd much rather deal with land that is outside of an HOA. First of all, you know, there's just more complexity to it. You know, you've got an HOA that controls the property in some way. You know, sometimes these restrictions are light. Sometimes they're pretty heavy. They'll tell you exactly what color your garage door needs to be, you know. so Which way it can face. Which way it can face. We've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's just more difficult. Mm -hmm. There's money to be made in HOAs sometimes. It's just more difficult. And a lot of times it's more difficult to resell. I've noticed as a, as a whole, they take longer to resell these deals because, the, you know, there's a smaller pool of buyers that are willing to that are that can buy into the upside of having the HOA and, and are, are fine with the restrictions and things like that. That's the whole reason. It's mm -hmm. just that it restricts your buyers. And also they could say, you know, if it's a community or an area where you're thinking, okay, this land's going to be perfect for a mobile home, like no mobile homes. Yeah. Or you can't, we're, we would, it takes two years to get through the building process. It's just all about the restrict, it's the the friction from getting the sellers. Yeah. And, and another thing, the mm -hmm. friction there is some of these are gated communities as well. So it makes showings a lot more difficult. Right. So, I mean, yeah, do it mm -hmm. if you want, if the deal is right, but just know you're going into it. it, it That's it's, right. There's more friction or whatever. Okay, Michelle says, Germany. Oh, I like this. Hi, I want to start from my basement in Germany. Okay. <laughs> do you know if I can also do it with an international bank, but with German bank account? And how can I get all those EIN and so on? Or what else I need to start from Germany? Thanks so much. Well, first of all, I know it can be done internationally. And I'm not the expert of telling you exactly what you're going to need to do in order to set up a company and everything to do it that way. I know that other investors set up U.S.-based LLCs or corporations. Mm -hmm. 
and US-based bank accounts. So I'm not saying it's impossible to use a German bank account or German corporation or something like that, but it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. I think some like Chase, I think, has international offices. There might be backup withholdings or something because you're not a US... Right. I don't know. I mean, it's been a long time Yeah, you're going to have to jump through some extra hoops to some of these title companies and things if you're not using a US-based entity, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, you have to do an international notaries or sign someone here. Right. So so it, it may be possible to do it in that way, but just uh, maybe look into what what it would take for a, you know, a German citizen to open up a US-based entity. Right. That, that might be your easiest path to deal with that one time rather than to try to yeah. go the other route. I know that it's possible. So don't mm-hmm. let that stop you. There's tons of students of ours. Right. And, yeah, Lots of people just, doing it internationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, just do it. Yeah. I That's Nike's. I'm not trying to steal okay. their quote. Yes. And that's awesome. Okay. Uh, well, great episode. This was yeah. good. Uh, inside the business. We need some sort of special music for that. And we'll do other of these uh, kind of an ongoing thing inside the business and breaking down different things uh, as kind of an ongoing feature. Yeah. But, and be sure to like, share, comment, you know, sh- share the resources with your friends and everything. But if you like this episode, let us know so that we can do more like this. Or if you've if you hated it, I guess let us know anyhow. Yeah, don't. Let us know okay. too. No? Okay. Yeah, I'm cool. Thanks. Actually, I mean, that would be useful as well in nice terms. We'll delete your comment. Uh, no, I don't delete any comments. Someone's like, um, that's fine, but you have to say it nicely. Like, you're going to say however you want to say it. That's yeah. fine. But it was fun for us. And I think we learned a lot building our business. Sure. So. Yep. That's right. That's it. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, first of all, before <gasps> oh you go. Oh, yes. yes. Where can they find you? Uh, yes. You can You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, at Partner with Pete. Uh, on YouTube, if you're listening to this podcast, um, find us on YouTube at Turning Profit. There's all kinds of other content that we've got on our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. We're really putting a lot of effort into that. So check us out there. Obviously, landconquest.com, that's where you'll find our community. We're hanging out in there as well. At least I am. I know you read the comments. You don't really you don't really comment in there too often. I like. Okay. You like. Uh, all right. And uh, yeah, so that's about it. Oh, and if you want to check out the website for our podcast, that's turningprofit.com. All kinds of income reports and everything there that, you know, I won't even go into that, but there is a wealth of, yeah. of land flipping uh, information on that website there. You can as well. go down the rabbit trail. But uh, when you talk about the YouTube thing, if you're listening to this on a podcast, I'm a podcast person. I love podcasts, but you like YouTube videos too. Yes. So you can actually see it. There's more right. graphics if that's how it keeps your attention going. Right, right. That's something for everyone. That's right. We got it all. We got it all. Well, thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Bye. All right. Bye. Ready to start turning profit yourself? Head to turningprofit.com to step up your real estate investing game. See you on the next episode.